Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're welcome to the final episode of Burgundy Radio for the 2017-18 season. Sad faces all around. The Colorado Avalanche have fallen. Coming up on the show, we'll talk about the series a little bit, the year a little bit, and what to look for over the summer. But before we put the whoosh, time to introduce one more time our disembodied voices. As always, we are joined by Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And by Jackie. Hello to you as well. Hello. As fall in game six by a final score of a lot to nothing. There isn't much to say about this game. Hamburglar Mania went wild and then he turned back into a pumpkin real quick and everyone else pretty much just ran out of gas. Um, so was, is there anything that you would like to mention about game six before we back out and take the series as a whole? Um, Doesn't feel I, like I, it's I, just a week ago. Feels it, like yeah. a week ago. <laughs> it, it feels like a so long ago. Yeah. I know. It's it's hard to imagine. I was buying hamburgers at McDonald's a week ago. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, you know, it obviously didn't go so hot, and it was pretty obvious right from the beginning that, that you know, that, that was going to be the case. Um, but I, I, I really like the fan response in sort of the last five minutes of the games when everyone was standing up and, and doing the old white out again. And I, I think that that really showed that they were, you know, sort of more invested in the team than they were at, at probably any point in the last three or four years. So um, job well done by the team and the fans um, ending up the season like that. Yeah, it was nice to finish at home. It was nice to get the series to game six. I think for some reason there's always just kind of like a big, kind of hurdle between a five game series and a six game series so um you know as far as that game it just when they got behind i think it was three goals it was just kind of like it just takes so much for them to overcome like that kind of deficit at that point and it, it pretty much felt over by the beginning of the second period yeah and and one thing I noticed that is was sort of a theme through the whole series. Like the Abs would do something in the even number games, you know, one, three, and five. Those are odd numbers. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, but uh, it sure they sure are. And then in the even number, <laughs> stop. I'm trying to think. Um, but in the even number games, the Predators would sort of counter whatever, you know, whatever move that was or whatever. Uh, strategy they were trying to exploit and, and sort of shut it down. So it, it was sort of a move counter move series for me. And, and you know, I, I didn't really see it while it was going on, but just looking back, that kind of popped out at me that, um, you, you know, it, when we were sort of looking at Nashville's weaknesses, it, it was something that sort of the, the, the coaching staff would see something for the Avs and, and exploit it. And the, the Predators, you know, they, they were a little bit vulnerable to it, but they would always come back in, in the next game and, and sort of shut that down. And, and, you know, looking ahead, that that may or may not be the case with Winnipeg, too. Yeah, they would come out very hard after a loss. So so good for them to be able to do that. And I guess one thing I kind of noticed, it maybe doesn't mean anything, but it's just like they stopped really practicing. They didn't 
have a, even a morning skate before game six. It was just, I don't know. It, it seemed a little odd. Like these other teams practice like a, after Nashville lost, they, they had like a, a heavy practice, you know, just yeah. things like that. It was almost kind of like the abs kind of knew it wasn't going to last very long. <laughs> Uh, that's where I feel like the, the running out of gas thing comes into play. Like I, I think the whole team was, had just given all they had, and yeah, doing more more on ice stuff is just gonna wear guys down. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're dealing with some injuries, and uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I really think that after watching Game Five, you know, I mean, that was a fantastic game, and it was a very hard fought game. And it's just, I just, I, I, I don't think they really had much more to sort of give as far as, you know, new strategies, new tactics or anything like that. It was just sort of like, well, we, you know, we're here, we go with what brought us and then see what happens. And then, you know, it just wasn't enough. Which is more or less what we expected um, for, for Colorado to bring everything they had and Nashville to just kind of swat them aside. So it's uh, it, it's frustrating that the Avalanche are able to push that, um, push that destiny back for five games, and then they hit game six, and it's just like, oh, this this is actually the President's Trophy winner against the seventeenth best record in the league. So, um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they did I, pretty I mean, get... well. You know, looking at some of the stats and the the shot metrics and, and things. I mean, the Avs clearly were behind the Predators, but they were ahead of a lot of other teams as far as their performance in the first round. Yeah. Um, they were what, the, the fifth team eliminated? I can't remember exactly. Um, Shout out but, to the you know, swept Anaheim Ducks. Shout out to the swept LA mm-hmm. Kings. Yeah, I mean, they you know, they, they put up, a, they put up a, a good fight and put on a good show for the fans. Um. I, I think they learned a lot because, you know, along with what I was saying with sort of the, the move, counter move part of the series, I mean, obviously the the energy level ramped up each game a little bit more and more. And, you know, I, I think I, I think that's sort of something that people talk about how you have to learn to play in the playoffs. Um, it's just it's more than you expect if you haven't been there. And it's, you know, it, it's definitely a, a thing that you have to deal with. It, it's it's just kind of hard to go in there not having played a playoff series in the NHL and really be able to contribute without knowing what's uh, what's ahead of you. So that that jumps ahead into my next question. What did you like about the Avs in this series? And what you're describing right there is something I really liked about the Avs in this series. We saw them in especially games like late in game four and in game five really go, okay, this, this is what playoff hockey is. We can do that too and start kind of matching that intensity level, matching that energy level. I was really, really encouraged by seeing them do that. Yeah, they really didn't, they didn't really look, you know, overmatched, um, at least on the ice, as much as you would think. I mean, you know, when you're looking at, right, you know, when you're looking at a one versus 16 kind of series, um, you know, you really think that that's sort of the candidate for the sweep and then the, t- the team that's never going to be in it. And, you know, they, they really weren't that. They were resilient. Um, 
I, I just I, I really liked what I saw as far as their ability to uh, take what the predators dished out and sort of learn from it. So it, I, I think it, it bodes well for next year and going forward. Yeah, I, I think we'd mentioned on the previous podcast covering the playoffs that how uncomfortable Nashville looked at times, and especially in early in games. I think they they would come on stronger near the end of games, but especially early there were things that the Avs were doing that would get them off their game. And... And I agree. They can definitely look towards things like that and build on them. Be able to say, this is our identity. This is what we do well. Things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it shows that the choice to sort of build a speedy team worked out well. Because uh, I think a lot of what the analysis was from the, the mainstream hockey press was that, you know, that the speed was one of the, the biggest reasons why the Avs were competing hard with Nashville. You, you sort of look at what Edmonton did after their playoff appearance last year, and they, they sort of they went away from speed and sort of tried to get old and heavy and stuff like that. And, you know, they, that didn't they work signed out so Jerome McGinley and Francois Boschman <laughs> and Brad Stewart, eh? Will teams yeah. ever learn? I don't know. It just seems more and more every year that those just are bad decisions. How are you going to ruin yeah, a 100-plus I... point season from Connor McDavid? How are you going to take <laughs> that and be not even close to the playoffs? It exactly. Is. It's crazy. And, I, I, you know, I think if you're, you know, if you're like Carolina or Florida or, you know, maybe teams like, you know, Buffalo coming up, I, I think your blueprint is going to be more of what the Avs have done rather than, you know, the stuff that Edmonton's done. Um. You know, you're you're looking at, at speed as something that you can use as a weapon against more experienced heavy teams, and it's just like you you can't really out heavy a team like the Ducks or the Kings. You know, it's just it's not going to work. You, you've got to you want to That'd use something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they need to build the team around what McDavid does. I mean, any team can build around one person i don't just mean by the roster but just by his attributes it should be edmonton right kind of like what the avalanche have done with making a team that's going to play with nathan mckinnon yeah absolutely i i think if you go into the fake stats i think they still had the most rush chances transition chances that also seems to be very much the avalanche identity even going back you know past Bednar and the Wa days and everything. It just seems like even Sacco, that's the yeah. Avalanche. And yeah. That's kind of the way they're always going to play. Yeah, I, I want them to, to have at least McKinnon's line being able to play that counterattacking style, but a lot of times they, they you, you remember so many rush chances because they just never... That's a lot of wind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit windy here. Um, but you, you remember those yeah. rush chances because they're, they're playing in their own zone a lot, and when they finally do actually get a shot on goal, it's because they're attacking from the other, other end of the ice. That's especially true under Waz teams and some of the later Sacco teams. Um, and, so yeah, I can see the point. They don't want to be the highest in that, but I still think that will always be kind of a hallmark of avalanche hockey. 
Yeah, definitely. And this is jumping the gun a little bit, but I would really like to see them put together another line that doesn't have to play offense that way. I I, I don't think rush chances are bad if you're starting in the neutral zone with your takeaways, though. I mean, that's that's what I think, you know, that's where I think that Jared Bednar wants to head with this team. Yes. And I want them to head that way, too. More entries, prevent, prevent entries the other way. You got it. You don't even have to bother with zone exits because, as we learned, those are hard. Yeah. Really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the what, easiest zone exit is the one you don't have to make. Exactly. So, so what we liked about the Avs this series is, was their speed, their tenacity, um, and the way they kind of elevated their game into the playoffs. What else, did, did I miss anything here? Um, I I kind of kind of liked how everyone contributed. I mean, maybe that one held up if they actually made it in the sound or they can't really lean on it. But it was interesting that every single player that had played in all six games had a point. Yeah. And then nobody scored in the sixth game. So every single player had a point in five games, in the first five games that played in all the first five. So I thought that was interesting. Even yeah, Gabriel I mean, Bork, who uh, he had two goals, yeah, I believe. He, he has his bursts, and he he had one. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing because you know a, a lot of talk is always about how the Abs are very top heavy, and you know, and yet you get something like this in the playoffs where you end up with a pretty well-rounded score sheet. So, um, you know, maybe that's <clears throat> I don't want to say it's not as big a problem as it seems, but um it it shows that they it it shows that the work they need to do in that area is not as large as you'd think it it, it really needs to 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 get a, a nice balanced attack i mean i i don't think we need to load up with you know two big scoring lines and then two sort of checking lines or anything like that i kind of like the you know i kind of like having a, a fourth line uh, like Comfort and, and Wilson and and uh, and Bork were, where you have some guys that you don't think of as high scorers, and yet they go out and give you a couple goals. Yeah, I agree too. I don't like increasing the quality of the lines. I think it still is a good point, but but yeah, I don't think the secondary scoring is quite as big of a problem as it might seem. Yeah. Um, and I was just doing some work on an article for this week and, you know, if you, if you consider the Soderbergh line, the the second line, those guys had 97 points together and and no, that's not as good as the 240 that the top line had. But, um, you know, when you consider like a good first line is probably 170, 180 points and 97 is half that that's, you know, that's an okay second line. So I, I, I think this year wasn't quite as bad as 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 it looked i think the you know the problems were more with youngsters not scoring as much as we'd like them to so as we uh as we keep moving forward were there any any weaknesses that this playoff series exposed within the team that that you noticed well the power play was disappointing i I believe they didn't score any 
five on four. It was only five on no. three. They scored one. No, they, so. they scored twice. They were both by Gabe Landeskog, and they were both five on three. Yeah. So, bum, bum, so not scoring bum, bum, bum. at all on the power play is is not ideal, I think. And and we know the power play through the whole year kind of went up and down. They they would go through these valleys, and then then they would play Chicago and score five <laughs> power play goals. Yeah, I mean, I I thought going into the series that if the Avs had a chance, they would have to win the power play or the the special teams battle. Yeah, and they did not. They did not. weren't even close. Um, and I mean, five v four, they really weren't looking bad most of the time. It's just you know they couldn't finish it off, and it's you know it's not something I can point to and like. Well, if they just did this and this, they could have won, but no. You're going to have that, and you're especially going to have that when your power play has, like, one look. Yeah, I think it's just a continuation of, of it overall. I mean, it wasn't horrible overall. They had some success on it. They did some good things, but, but yeah, it, it just left you wanting a little bit more. Like you said, you need more looks. It just seemed kind of like when it was wasn't doing well kind of the only solution was shoot the damn puck more which i don't disagree with but you kind of want to see a little bit more in the bag of tricks i know they switched miko and i think it was was it jost yeah miko and jost there at the end you know i probably would have gone more exotic and tried me i i like the look of sam and barry on the power play maybe not all the time but if you throw that out there in the middle of a game, I, I think that changes the dynamic a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can switch back and forth from an overload, which you would use two defensemen for, to the usual umbrella, you know, that could help out. I, I don't know. One of the main things that bothered me about the power play was they, you know, not only zone entries were a difficulty, it's exiting their own zone seemed to be a chore. And... I think part of that is predictability. Uh, part of that is Nashville being very good at preventing zone exits, even with four guys. Um, but that's just, I, I think over the season even, that's something that they really uh, need to work on being a little less predictable with how they try and you know get the puck into the zone on the power play. It's like uh, they, they, they had such problems setting up just because of uh, – the problems getting into the zone. So it just, it, it was so much wasted time. They had, they didn't have a lot of time to actually create plays. All right. And, and then the plays that they could create were either Tyson Berry tries to get one through from the point or Nathan, hey. or Nathan McKinnon <laughs> tries to take the one shot that he takes on every power play. And every once in a while, they were able to find Tyson Jost in the high slot. And that was the only change to their normal look was that. Like, it's just, you're, it's not hard to stop you on the power play if everyone in the building knows what you're going to do. Well, I mean, they passed it to Miko a few times, and he obviously had some difficulties, and he couldn't shoot. But, you know, that I, I think that actually was a bigger effect than maybe we, we surmised at the time. Um, I definitely like when you have McKinnon. Yeah, when you have McKinnon on one side as a threat and Miko on the other, if you know, you if you let the Royal Road Pass go through, you know, that that's a lot more dangerous than just waiting for McKinnon to shoot. <laughs> but it, instead Nashville was able to just kinda of wait for, for Miko to get the puck and then just pressure him and they win. 
Hey! <laughs> Free clear. Yeah, and of the Avalanche don't do a locker room clear out day because they hate us, so um, <laughs> we, we never really get a full answer on what the different sorts of injuries may have been, and uh, obviously the Avalanche weren't willing to share those after they had just lost game six because they're not trying to make excuses. Yeah. So I, we'll know, never know I, how many broken well, boats Randon had in that series. <laughs> While I, I would, you know, as a fan and as someone who thirsts for knowledge on the team, you know, that kind of bums me out that they don't do locker room clear out, but you just look at the, the way other teams do it and it's just, everything's micro analyzed and, you know, it, <laughs> I think it's sort of counterproductive in many I think ways. Season kind of deserved one because you weren't going to ask the players about big picture stuff in game 82. You weren't going to ask the players big picture stuff while they were still live in the playoffs. Like, you're just not going to do it. And then, then you make everyone go in there and you have 10 minutes and you're supposed to run through the whole, like, oh, gee, you just lost. Let's reflect and, on that. Oh, by the way, hey, what, now we're moving What are you on doing this offices. summer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now reflect on the year. Now tell me about your off-season plans. Like, it just, it seems stupid that, you know, that you just don't give people the proper opportunity. You don't give the media the time to do their jobs. You don't give the players the time to give an answer they want to answer. Like, like I understand last year, there was enough time to get your questions in. So when it was over, it was over. Like, I totally get that. But this year in the season they had, there wouldn't have been coming back and at least talking to some players. Robot. In more, in more of a big picture kind of manner. But I know the abs don't do it this way. And... We don't necessarily need the Wayne Simmons TMI list of every single problem he had. How do you tear a pelvis? <laughs> That's a bone. It's I, just... I, just... I, I agree, but you know, I think the proper time for those questions is after a little bit of reflection and getting away from the game for a little bit. So it's like, you know, maybe you know, starting next week or the middle of May would be a great time to ask those questions. And obviously they're not around and, you know, it's, I, I think it's just tough to get those questions in any time. Um, I'm not sure how much more difficult it makes it for, you know, the media to do their job by not having locker room clear out. Cause I just don't, I don't think the guys have enough energy even then to, to give really thoughtful answers. Well, it's like, I well, think, I think they, tried to um, try to get by with, with giving that information out through the GM press conference after the season is over. The problem is your GM is Joe Sackick, who excels in saying nothing. Well, it was nice they at least did that. Yeah. The that was 16 minutes. Day. That's a lot of time. So, so yeah, I will, will say good job for that. That was, that was at least some closure. I can't nothing. remember. Did he even speak at the end of last year? I don't think he did. I think he did. It was before the last game. <laughs> I know he didn't want to. I can't imagine <laughs> why he would. Like, what? What is there to say? Well, that was bad. See, ya. it was. It was the younger, faster message. You just wait till next had, year, though. They had to start sending the message. The younger, faster. I think he talked before the last game and just said, said the same stuff. Maybe so. 
We're keeping that. I think that's also when he reiterated they were going to keep Bednar. I don't. Well, maybe, but I just, I can't imagine what the purpose of a of a an event like that would have been last season. Like, well, that sucked. We're going to fix it. See y'all in October. <laughs> What's the tricky thing is is that you want answers, but there yes. aren't any. Right. <laughs> but you Some you already you don't want answers. That's, make that's, it better. That's the problem. After a season like last season, you don't want answers. You want to hear your answers. So you're, you're well, you get, you want to see action. You yeah. don't want to hear words. But I mean, yeah. you're either going to get your own biases confirmed and okay, cool, or you're going to be angry. So last season there was really no purpose to it whatsoever. This year there's actually some questions going forward about what are you going to do? Who are you going to try to bring back? And we did find out that uh, Coach JB is going to have a one-year extension added to the end of his contract. So that's something. Yeah. I yeah, think it's it well-deserved. and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it just, with a lot of the coaching issues you see around the league recently, you just, you know, you, you're kind of glad that, that we hooked up with, with Coach Bednar and you know, especially he could be here for a while. Yeah, but, but more on him in a minute. Um, did we? Do you feel like we learned anything from this from this series? And we can kind of look at this from two perspectives. Like, what did the Avalanche learn, and then what did we learn about the Avalanche? Um, I think probably the first thing we learned, and this is this is sort of a a whole second half of the season going into the playoffs thing, is that they're they're a lot more ready to sort of climb the ladder of the NHL than, than we really thought they would have been. Um, you know, even, even when you're looking at the sort of going into the, the game 82 scenario against the blues, I mean, it, you know, there was a lot of doom and gloom, but you know, they handled that fine. They handled themselves really well during the six games or at least five out of six of the games. So I, I you know, I, I really think that this group together has a great attitude about what they need to do. Um, you know, Coach Bednar has been really good about sort of evening out the highs and lows. And, you know, I, I think with an attitude like that, it's it's a lot easier to advance uh, as far as players and, and sort of where you end up in the NHL. Yeah, I think they kept talking about how special the group was, how everyone got along, how several players mentioned how much they love the team, things like that. I think I think they have to give serious consideration to maybe keeping the team together as much as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like they learned a lot about resiliency and that they could accomplish things. And, and I agree, they're, they're on maybe the right path more than they would have realized maybe even a couple months ago. I'd say in particular, I think they learned how important Gerard is for the team and how big of a part of the team he is that I think his absence showed that. And maybe they didn't need to learn that in the playoffs to learn that, <laughs> but they did. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I think in the playoffs, it, it showed a lot harsher um, yeah. than it might've in the, the regular season. I mean, obviously he didn't miss any games in the regular season, so we never really knew but you know that that was a bit of a surprise. Um, I don't want to say they became one-dimensional, but it just sort of you, you sort of got a good perspective on how much a foil for Barry Sam is, because he does similar things but in a totally different way. 
And having those two kinds of defensemen um, really present a lot of problems for the opposing coaches. It's a lot of unpredictability and a lot of chaos to try to have to manage, I think, that we've mentioned yeah. that before, right? Definitely. I mean, it's just, you know, Barry has a, a certain kind of chaos, and Sam has a, a brand of chaos all his own, and it's just, uh, you know, going forward, you're just looking at that like, <clears throat> you know, like, say you weren't a fan of the Avs, and, and you saw that these guys were coming to town. I mean, you just sort of, what what would you want to see your team do against that? That's just... You know, that that's two really difficult guys to play against. And it's not because they're huge and you know, it's not because they're powerful. It's it's because of what they can you know, how silly they can make you look with how unpredictable they are. And without even really looking like they've done anything obvious, like how how many people has Sam put into the boards just by shifting his weight at the right time? Yeah. Um yeah. And he played a good bit of minutes too. I think that's something they need to think about moving forward. He did. I think he he played. I, I think it was. I mean, I think at least twenty one minutes in the playoffs. I think, and then ever since EJ's last injury, he'd played twenty minutes. So I think that's something they need to think about moving forward. Is I think he and the team are more effective the more minutes he plays. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to see him play 26 or 28 minutes. No. I think he, everybody on that team sort of plays well when they're in the sort of sweet spot 22 to 24 range, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think he was he was just fine at that 20 or so mark. Yeah, I'm not suggesting more than that, but I think they need to plan to give him that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's... I. You know, I, I think there are some nights when you have to play Nemeth like 26 minutes and it's, you know, whether it's because of injuries or, <laughs> or you know, you take nine penalties or something like that. I, I think each one of the players, you know, has sort of a, something that they need to be out on the ice more for. And, you know, some nights you're going to have sort of big time 26 minute nights for those guys. But, you know, sort of on an average, if, you, if you're keeping if you're keeping everybody in that sweet spot as far as average minutes, uh, you know, I, I really think the the success rate is, is going to continue to go up. Maybe so. Um, so Sam is important. Good yeah. To learn. I think that was a big lesson. Um, uh, he, his end of the season and his couple of playoff games are just so strong that we can, all we can do is hope that he picks up to, somewhere near that level next year and, and keeps building on from that because he's still a extremely young dude. Yeah, I mean, he you know he didn't go through any of the camps, obviously, because he wasn't on the team until November. So it's going to be really nice to see him. I, I don't know if he'll... I, I doubt he'll be at dev camp, but, um, you know, it's like he'll be able to go through the sort of summer training with the guys if he wants to and, and go through the pre-camp camps and captain's camps and all that. Um, you know, without being just sort of dropped in the middle of a new team in the middle of November, I I think that's going to benefit him hugely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was just, I mean, cr- guys at his age don't get traded in the NHL. That's why they have all these camps and and things like that to help the young players. And that they just dropped him in, and he played well the whole year. Is I think is a testament to just how he handled it. 
and everything. Yeah. And there was definitely a learning curve for him, too, even as he did play well. Like, we, we saw him back in the fall sometimes just kind of give up an easy little turnover because he was, didn't... Either he didn't realize, like, the difference between the Av system and the Predator system put more pressure on the defenseman to exit the zone or to retrieve pucks, or whether he was just still learning the NHL, but he would be way too casual in November and December way too often. And that hasn't happened at all recently. Yeah. So it's just that's just one easy and obvious thing you can point to just from a playing with an NHL attitude. Like there's no you can't take five seconds off when you're out there. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a really smart player. I just can't imagine what it's going to be like going into a season fully prepared, you know, being able to meet with the coaches and go over whatever adjustments they're going to make over the summer and everything like that. I mean, um, just the, just the fact that, that he's going to be a benefit of more preparation, it, it should be scary for the rest of the league. Yeah, definitely. If he can build on how he played, like you said, especially at the end of the season, then really the sky's the limit for him. So, um, obviously, he spent most of the playoff series injured, which is too bad, but a whole bunch of guys played all six games. Um, who would we name as, as our stars for the series? And um, I, I think the obvious is going to be the points and goals leader, Gabe Landeskog. Yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd be my MVP of the series for sure. Um, we talked about it last week um, because really not much has changed since then. Um. <laughs> nope. They played, they, they played one quarter of a period since then. I, I just I, I was really impressed with, um, you know, how, how he played during the whole series. And, you know, I, like we talked about last week, I, I just I, I think he gets uh, – less credit than he deserves for a lot of the things that he does aside from scoring. And when you match it with a good scoring output like that, you're, you're just looking at a really complete player. Um, I'm just sitting here I really nodding like you, like y'all can see. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's just no disagreement. I, I think his effort on that goal that McKinnon scored in game three, I think it was the third goal in game three. Oh. Effort on that goal i yeah. think so good just illustrates yeah. that's a career harmed, highlight goal yeah uh-huh. harmed in that series yeah i think that goal will be remembered for a long time because it was just that was like the pinnacle for both of them kind of on that on that goal so number two goes to blank See, I don't know if any other individual earns their own star. I mean, Hammond deserve he could deserve a star just for game five on his own. Um, I could also give it to the fourth line. I think as a whole, they might have earned a star. I think the Wilson Comfer Bork, but then they got kind of got split up near the end. Um, it, it's hard to come up with an individual effort because I think collectively they did well, but they each kind of had good and bad moments. Yeah, I think if you're looking for sort of a sneaky star, um, Sven Andraghetto, um, he did he did really get on 
you know, he, he got more minutes than the other two guys on his line. And, and then after he was transferred down to the, to the fourth line, I guess. Um, but I was looking at sort of the shot metrics by line and his shot suppression sort of went with him when he moved to Comfer's line from Kerfoot's line. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that <clears throat> it's kind of hard to see shot suppression in action and, and there are many yeah. ways it can happen, but, um, you know, you just, you, you look at the, the charts that Sean Tierney puts up and you're just like, okay, you know, Andrew Ghetto was definitely helping this out. And conversely, Wilson is sort of a recipe for allowing lots of shots. Um, so you could sort of see that that dynamic in play. Um, I think Sven it, it, would have earned a star if he'd gotten rewarded more. Because like he yeah. more than once had like an, a full end-to-end rush. To, it wasn't even just like straight skating. Like He would have to dodge around some people in the neutral zone and make some moves and still gets in and gets a shot off, but then it gets saved. Like He had a lot of times where he was just like, all right, I'll just do this then. And like he didn't get rewarded for it. If he had, he would have been an easy star. So I am 100% in support of this move. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I guess... I'm giving my star to him, and I guess that's my final answer. I think the guy came in cold, basically. He had, he had only played, like, two games since January, and, and he sold them a playoff game. So yeah. I think that's worth a star. So obviously we've taken Nathan McKinnon for granted in this conversation. <laughs> I, I, it's Second really, on the team. It's, it's really not fair to even include that guy in this conversation because he's a... <laughs> Hard trophy candidate and would win every single week if we allowed him to. <laughs> sort of like they had him as the the first star interviewee every game last year. <laughs> Even when he didn't actually win the first star. <laughs> Even when someone else deserved it more. Just have Max speed. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, I, every line was dealing with something as far as an injury or just someone that, that wasn't playing up to par. Um, you know, whatever, whatever ended up being wrong with Miko, that was tough for those guys to drag around. And it, you know, it, it sort of hampered them a bit. And, you know, I think the Kerfoot line suffered. I, I'm not sure if this has been confirmed or not that, that Jost had a broken uh, finger or hand or something like that. But um, we've heard that. And that just made that line a, a lot harder to, to produce. It's just um, tough when they don't announce injuries. It, it is because you hear things and you wonder, like, was this guy really injured? Who, who was really injured? And then they have their world championship declines. And it's like, is that a real injury or is that a decline injury? It just, it yeah. just brings too much guesswork because you want to say, oh, by Joseph, the way, Nemes having surgery. Won't tell you what he's having surgery, <laughs> right? Like, like you feel like Joe didn't perform well. Then you, then you think he might have been injured. But then who else might have been injured? It's just to me, yeah. it, it's just it's a bit unfair to all of them because how do you know? Yeah, because like, I mean, Joe would have been my number one scratch for this series, and it's like if he was healthy, um, I think he would definitely. You know, he would definitely deserve that. Um, or me, like, everyone assumes he was injured, but was he? Yeah. yeah. There's, Who knows? There's just no way he wasn't. He do, you don't go from that good at handling the puck to that <laughs> bad at handling the puck without something going on. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, maybe, and, and maybe he, he got the mega yips. I don't know, but big. He'd taken a few big shots, and <clears throat> yeah. he'd left the ice a couple times. So yeah, it's a fair assumption, but it's just you don't know what any of them were dealing with. Yeah, just makes it really um, hard to judge, and maybe that's us being a little bit selfish about things, but that's okay. We want to. Well, know. just. I mean, if if you're looking at the series as something like, all right, you know, we did pretty well. Uh, the goal, obviously, is going to be to make the playoffs again and, and do better next time. You know, it's like if you look at Jost, if he was healthy, then you're thinking, like, you know, what what are we going to do with this guy? You know, it's like, is is you know, is he going to play like this all the time, or is he going to start getting it, or what? You know, and it's like if he was injured, then you're like, aha. You know, and and the same with Miko. I mean, did did Miko just freak out because he was in the NHL playoffs and he's a young player? You know, probably not. He was probably injured, but we don't know. So, Joe, right, like so I injured would guys have gotten their scratches so far because mine would have been Ranton, and so it's Joseph and Ranton. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's looking forward to hearing mine, which is probably not hard to guess. But are we moving on to scratches? Yes. Okay, um, Barry, and you know when you that, look at Jost and Ranton, that would have been my third too. <laughs> and they weren't converting on chances. I don't feel like they were liabilities either, though. I mean, I'm sure either of them contributed to a goal against in some way, but I mean, Barry, I feel like he did not have a good series, and I know I'm someone that's a little bit tougher on him, but it's just like he didn't create much. I don't think he he was a plus on the offensive side and there were times where he was a negative on the defensive side. Like game four sticks out in my mind just cause I was at that game and I, I saw it right in front of me more, but he, he was not good in that game. And, and I think the standard is higher for guys like him and McKinnon and, and, and the top guys, the core guys that you would say. And I, I just don't think he delivered. I and and I think agree. it was worse than what say Joe's not doing anything offensively. I think that hurts the team a lot more than just saying, "Well, Joe's didn't score a goal." Well, he missed a lot of open chances, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I agree with Barry. I think the first two games, Barry was so bad. It, it, I mean, it wasn't even funny. And he sort of had a decent game in three, but then four, he was he was kind of awful again. And um, I think he was better in five, especially yeah. near the end. And and, it, and they didn't overplay him that game. And I, I think that helped too. So I think when they overplay him, it kind of brings him into the bad realm. But and obviously game six was not a highlight reel for him either. Yeah, for, it wasn't for, for anyone. But yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. just... Barry had um, a lot of moments where he just throws the puck to someone who's not wearing the same color he's wearing and you just scream. Yeah. The, well the bet the back pat the no look back pass, he does way too much. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool, but you have like, to make it. Yeah, you're doing it on the blue line five on five, it's like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um I, you know, and that's tough because he's more of a veteran guy that you want to see be able to learn from, you know, a, a performance like that. Um, and you, you sort of hope that, you know, even at age 26, that he's going to be able to take a look at this series and 
and sort of say like, okay, you know, it's like, uh, I need to do, I, I need to have this attitude here or I need to do this better here and, and you know, and, and, and be a lot better at, at when he's asked to be the number one defenseman, which, you know, again, he's always going to be over his head yeah. in that role, but um, and, I mean, and we I know think what he, his... he handled it better than we all thought he would and better than he ever has before, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, we know what his game is. Like, it's not a surprise. Yeah. We, we kind of know what the pluses and minuses are. But I still think, even knowing that, he could have done better in this series. Yeah, when the chips are down, you got to have, you got to manage your risk a little bit better. And, and we're not asking him to play safe because safe for Tyson Berry is death. Um, yeah, but may- maybe not be quite so cavalier. Yeah, yeah. It almost seems like it sucks McKinnon into it too, and both of them try to be the highlight show, and then it's just like this. This is just awful. That I, I, I would echo those. Those three probably get the scratches. We don't. I mean, maybe Barry had an injury. We don't know, but um, was it a brain injury? I think the- <laughs> <laughs> hey hey it's true though oh yeah I, I know he didn't he didn't have a hard time executing things like hitting an open net from in close <laughs> or receiving a tape to tape pass like the other two he would just be like <laughs> what are you doing I, I would say Bernier didn't have the greatest series but again there was something wrong with him so yeah we know he was injured yeah and something lower body so but um, but no i agree with that it's just it's been so long ago that i forgot that, that Bern- <laughs> when bernier played <laughs> I don't, yeah i don't think bernier stopped a single breakaway chance against like you obviously you don't blame the goaltender for a breakaway but you gotta stop him sometimes yeah but um but yeah i i totally forgot about the struggles of john bernier it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, yeah, he definitely struggled. I, I Even so, I don't really think he cost them. I, I think he just made bad games worse rather than costing them games. But, you know, maybe they maybe they could have pulled one of those out um, with a, a, a little sharper net play, but. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you never know. Wasn't a fine to, moment, especially but... with his record. Yeah, it's it's just a shame that that Varley had to take that random hit to the knee when he did. Yeah, late in the game against a team that's totally out of the playoffs. Yeah, in a game awesome. that's pretty well over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's that. Let's put, let's put a bow on the playoffs this year. Um, do you have any final thoughts on that series? Or are we ready to move along? I'm good with where we are. Yeah, I, I think it it was fun. It was. It, it We hadn't seen playoffs in a while, and I think it was good to see what the playoffs were again. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think I think we, we put a good bow on it. Yeah. Games are a lot more stressful when you're invested. <laughs> <laughs> Learning what the playoffs are. If the 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 more people complain about non calls in the playoffs, the the more annoyed I get. <laughs> like, do you not watch the NHL after your team loses in game eighty two or what? Like, 
This is what happens every year. Yeah. And and yeah, there's patterns that you can bitch about, like Nathan McKinnon can't draw a slashing call to save his life. Um, but one individual. But play, they'll call one on him. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> one individual play, you're just getting your blood pressure up for no reason. Yeah. So speaking of Nathan McKinnon, he is a finalist for both the Hart Trophy and the Ted Lindsay Award. So well done there. Um, for those of you that don't know anything about the NHL awards, the Hart is awarded by the Professional Hockey Writers Association, and the Ted Lindsay is voted on by the players. So um, that's very cool to be nominated for both of those. And Jared Bednar was also nominated to lose the Jack Adams to to uh, to is it Gerard Gallant? It is. Okay. I, we've talked about Gerard so much, though. It's like, uh, that sounds really wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bednar is a finalist for the Jack Adams, so well done there. Um, obviously, the, the Jack Adams Award is traditionally awarded to a coach who's riding a hot goaltender and is going to be fired in two years. <laughs> you can check one of those off. <laughs> Um, Vegas was a little bit more than the team that rode the hot goaltender, although, uh, you know, Flurry did have a, a hand in, in a lot of great things that they pulled off this year. And continued to uh, playoffs. He was outstanding last night, even though they lost. Yeah. And uh, the, the Kings sure think he's pretty good, I think, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they have two goals. Um, yeah, I, I – you know, I'm I'm glad that JB's going to get the recognition for being nominated for the Adams, especially after you know what we went through last year and, and what I'm sure is probably one of the most difficult years in his professional life. Um, you know, I, I still think there's an outside chance he might win it, uh, but I think the recognition is enough. And, and you're right, it's a curse, so I don't really want him to win it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much exactly in agreement there. It's it's great he got the recognition, but yeah, he doesn't necessarily need to win it. His <laughs> <laughs> goaltenders didn't do enough for him to win it. Exactly. Varley, 920? Come on, dude. You can't win that award. It's got to be at least That's a 935. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need Miracle Year goaltending. We don't need to be propped up by that. That would have been nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, at the time... So, do y'all think Nathan McKinnon will win either of his awards? I can't get a handle on the Lindsay. Um, It's the players. I mean, you know, is it the most popular player kind of thing? If it is, it seems like McDavid probably would win. You know, I almost feel like he has a better shot at that one because you hear, like, what PK said, and I've, I've heard several players say, oh, yeah, it's McKinnon. Like... And ones that you wouldn't necessarily think would be that emphatic about it. Like, not his teammates. Right. Like, saying, oh yeah, it definitely should be McKinnon. Because I do think they have a ton of respect for McDavid. I think it's between the two. But I think... I think they feel like what McKinnon did... I I do think they'll put more importance on that and like, I think the the writers put more importance on the playoffs thing as, as kind of like a line in the sand. So I don't think the players see it like that, but I think the players will respect more kind of what McKinnon did. So I think as a 
decent shot. I actually think it's a decent shot at the heart. And I think the thing that will help him the most is that he's going to be about one or two on everyone's ballot. There might be a lot of people that don't have him one, but there's going to be a lot of splitting. Because there's a lot of people in the East that are were behind Giroux. And, and then there's still Kutrov. There's other people that thought Ovechkin should get it. Crosby, you know, Kopitar. There's all... McDavid's going to get a few. There's all kinds of, like, uh, splits. But McKinnon's going to be hot on everyone's ballot. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right there. Um, you know, I, I, I do think... You know, a lot of people say it shouldn't be important whether you make the playoffs or not. But I, I maybe it's old school thinking. But you know, how valuable are you if you can't get your team in the playoffs? And I know it's not McDavid's fault that you know his, his general manager is a moron. But <laughs> um, you know, what, whatever it is, it's you know, it's a lot easier to play fast and loose and, and score a hundred points if there's really nothing to play for. So. Any he, individual accomplishments really sort of have that asterisk on them. And he did get really hot at the end of the year, which yeah. kind of kind of does point to that as well. I, I mean, if if Thavs had lost game 82, should that have taken McKinnon out? Like, I agree with you to the McDavid extent. Like, they, they, were, they were out of it in November. But if you lose in game 82... Does that change what McKinnon did? Well, I mean, then look at the losses that were leading up to that, you know. And, and I know there, you know, there are many reasons for that, but it's like they, you know, <clears throat> they could have they could have won any one of those games, and, and the Blues, you know, would have been coming into Colorado in Game eighty two, uh, really in a bad spot, and you know they didn't get it done. So, but but if you say that he he did enough to win it like to win the award but just the little difference between that would mean that he doesn't deserve it at all i i think that's like a huge that's like a huge difference i think i mean it's a line it's it's a line that has to be crossed and it's not an easy one to cross um you know if, if the abs had you know, if the Avs' 95 points hadn't been good enough to, to get them into the playoffs, you know, that's still a fantastic season. But, you know, the, the, the last 20, 30 games, you're, you're really gearing up to win enough games to, to get that final spot at least. And, you know, I, I, I know it sounds sort of arbitrary and unfair, but it... You know, it's it's just sort of an accomplishment that I think you need to to really be a most valuable player. And that's definitely the way that the writers think too. There's a lot of old school minds still in in the PHWA. It's not just new media, obviously. Um, so I think that that has that's definitely uh, been a major factor for who who actually ended up getting nominated and who didn't, including Connor McDavid, which we're not going to talk about. I just think it's funny. Yeah. So, um, that's that. Season's ended. And I guess one more point to that is it's kind of like points. Like, people could say, well, you don't need to award it to the guy that has the most points. He's not necessarily the winner. But then at the end of the day, 
you earn those points and someone else had less. Yeah. That's, That's kind of how I see it too. There's trophies for scoring. In theory, the person who scores the most is probably on the best team and probably has a lot of help getting those points. So someone who's doing all on, on their own, and then there's an argument of, for Taylor Hall. Yeah, but of the finalists, McKinnon has the most points. Yeah. And nice the best win, point then. per game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, anyway. So yeah, the, the season's over for the Avalanche. Uh, I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to go through and grade every single player on this show. Um, but let me ask you one thing. Who broke the curve? Who exceeded expectations? And who disappointed you? I'll say Varley was probably the biggest surprise for me. Because I kind of... I mean, a lot of people were writing him off. And even when he fell out with the first injury, you're kind of like, oh, man. You know, he was okay this fall, maybe. You're still kind of wondering if he's the kind of goalie that can take anywhere. And then he's out for a month, and, you know, Bernie A plays fantastic, and they win 10 games and whatnot. Fans are openly speculating about buying Varley out in December. Y'all remember that? Right. People still want to buy Varley out. (laughs) Yeah. But I, you know, I, I was looking at things today for for something similar. Um, you know, he he played twenty four games in fifty days to lead up to the the season ending injury, and he played really well in those games. I mean, he kept the Avs in that playoff race, and and you know, th- there's no doubt in my mind they they probably would not have made it with without that performance that he had. That was um, a really loud so- bird a second ago, Earl. It's definitely a summer show now. <laughs> Nice bird. <laughs> that was so loud. We're back to the birds. Damn um, but I, you know, I honestly, when they were playing him every night, and and you're just looking at him, and he just looks, oh, looked like he had twenty sacks of cement on his back. Um, that really impressed me. Just you know, I I really didn't think he could pull that off, and you know, he he's sort of a a interior masters masterton trophy candidate for me because um you know what he went through in the fall plus the injury and then coming back from it and then putting in that performance is uh, it's it's pretty amazing when you think about it he's kind of get hit hit with the fan base stastny stick like at some point it's just not enough (laughs) he's a cream puff Marley just doesn't play hard enough in the corners. <laughs> it's just not enough. Like he just—he's too he's nice just not, on the ice. He just doesn't win the contract. <laughs> just not like he's been here forever. He's totally overpaid. He, yeah, he, he's not worth the contract. He's been here forever. He's never won anything for us. Did just... like that contract when he signed it. Still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. It's just like. I don't, I don't, I will get a, a, the proper appreciation at this point, like ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, and he's the one goalie we have in the organization that's signed for next year currently. Um, and I, I'm okay I, with that. <laughs> I, just, I just think he's going to stick around. I mean, I know this is going to yeah. get into later topics, but they just have no reason. Show me better. I mean, where, the, what, how are they going to do better? You they know? have no reason to move on from him. Not now. 
There's yeah. no one to move on to unless you're trading him up, <laughs> trading him one for one for somebody. I mean, Bernier, yeah, he had a great streak, and that's sort of been the story of his career. But you know, if you're picking between those two guys and saying, "All right, you know, we need a starting goalie for the next couple of years," who are you going to pick? You know, I know Varley's probably going to get hurt more, and he's not going to be able to play, you know, 60 games. But, you know, he still played 51 games this year or something like that. So, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think we're okay with him for now. I mean, they hired his personal goalie coach. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, the juicy part killer. <laughs> Which just seems like he's helped everybody, but right? still. Like even Andrew that... Hammond was talking about getting some technical help there. Yeah, but still, this is Varley's guy. Like, I I just don't see them moving on from him. Yeah. So so who else has exceeded expectations this year? I would say, well, my answers are, I mean, obviously the the top line, but excluding that, I would say my three are Gerard, Andrew Ghetto, and Nieto. And I think, I mean, Gerard, we already spoke about, He's just fantastic, and I think he did a lot better, especially coming to the organization and his age. But we already we already covered that. Um, Andrew Ghetto, I think he was a little underappreciated. How he seems to to make lines better. He's he's definitely has a skill level that is I think higher than kind of some of these you know, bottom six, middle six kind of guys. He was like a good a good person to add that he has that you know, above average skill level. And I think he he showed that this year. And then yeah. he, I probably wouldn't have said it until You're talking about Nieto, right? Yeah, okay, Nieto. You had a, a moment of mega robot there. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Nieto now. And I probably wouldn't have picked him if you would ask me like a week ago. But just kind of looking at he had fifteen goals, like he probably was in a role higher than he should have been, but he performed well in it. And I think, I think if you're talking about expectations and who exceeded them, I would say that he did. Yeah. I thought it was pretty incredible that, you know, you, you look at Carl's line, uh, Carl Como and Nieto, they were sixth, seventh and eighth in scoring. You know, that's kind of like that's that's kind of where you want your second line. Yeah. So, and I expected Carl to to bounce back. I expected Como to bounce back. I th- those aren't expectation busters for me. If they'd stayed in the toilet, they would have been disappointments. Yeah, like, yeah, all three of them did well. I I think Como kind of met his expectation. I think Soderberg rebounded, but I think there was more capacity for him. And I think Nieto is the one that exceeded expectations of the three. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right there. So my expectation exceeder is Miko Rantanen because I don't think anybody expected him to have a point-of-game season. Yeah, I was going to mention him. I mean, you know, you looked at last year and you knew there was capacity, especially for assists, since, you know, 20 goals and 18 assists is kind of wonky for a guy that can pass like that. Yeah. And who sometimes you scream at to shoot the puck. Yeah. But he had 55 it, assists. Yeah. yeah. He had more assists on the power play than he had all last year. Um, But it's just, you know, even so, it's like when you draft a, a guy and he spends a year in the AHL and then, and then a rookie season like last year, 
you're not just saying you're not looking for an 84 point season you know i mean i, I this dude's really special <laughs> yeah yeah he is and we even knew it we knew it when we saw him in the ahl i i think it took like a month and it was like oh god this guy's good yeah but and, it's like you're, you're like you know what what are, what do the abs have to do to get this guy to to get to his potential? Because that's just been such an issue for so long. Right, and, like sixty would have even been like, yeah, that's pretty damn good for yeah overall to get sixty. And I know it, it kind of the season McKinnon had overshadowed him a little bit because he should have gotten more attention. He should have been more like, look at what this guy's doing. The second year in the league 80 i mean to cross 80 is is just ridiculous that you could go down very very good young players that have not scored 80 points yeah like 16th in the league this year i mean that's crazy (laughs) top end scoring is is up around the league um middle middle range guys are still about where they've always been but players like mckinnon and randon and kucherov mcdavid are you know up in the 80 90 100 points range again um so and and yeah i I think 16th says that relative to his peers he had a phenomenal season i mean like austin matthews hasn't scored 80 points like when you're comparing his scoring to guys like austin matthews and he scored 40 goals last year yeah, and he still hasn't hit 80 points. So, yeah, Miko Rantanen's my expectation exceeder uh, by a pretty wide margin. As I just kind of look up and down the roster, I don't see anyone else who even comes close to that level for me. No. And if I had to add one more, I would add Big Z. Yeah, that's kind of an honorable had... mention to me. We were like, This is what we would hoped he would do, but we didn't expect it. Right, you know, it's like he hadn't he hadn't scored a goal, and we kind of thought, oh boy, he's a shutdown man. But you know, he's a coke. He scored seven down. goals and and had a goal in the playoffs. I mean, offense is coming around. And the yeah. last goal for the Avalanche was taken away, and it was the Doros goal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like full circle right there. Yeah, um, but. You know, I I don't know. If, I, I wouldn't call it exceeding expectations as much as <clears throat> allaying fears. I mean, even in, even in the fall when he got benched three times in a row, um, you're just like, guy's not scoring, and he's, um, is he a bust? Do we have to get rid of him? Is this sort of another plan down the drain? And you know, he really learned a lot this season, and it it, it just really, you know, makes you feel hopeful for the future because you know he's finally getting it. Yeah. I I kind of expected him to play this way. I think I think it's how he played at the end of last year. I, I yeah. knew he could score. That it was some some kind of odd coincidence that he didn't have a goal. I, I don't some know. Bullshit. I mean, I would definitely <laughs> say he he did well. Like I, you don't want to just want to assume that young players have a good season. So to that extent, like he deserves kudos for meeting his expectation but i still would say that was kind of the expectation for him okay yeah. how many hits did you expect him to have this year like 650 <laughs> no you sure didn't lead the league <laughs> I, I think we can call him most improved without having to call him exceed expectations 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say for year-over-year year players, as far as starting point to finish point, I think he and Miko really, you know, you're, you're just in awe of how much they improved this year. Yeah. So now we got to talk about disappointments. <clears throat> well, I'd, I'd say Jost is a disappointment. Um I think for several reasons. I, I'm very hard on Jost, but I expect a lot out of him. It's tough when you're a 10th overall pick and, and you have Miko, who's also a 10th overall pick, showing off like that. But, um, you know, I just, I, I think, I think he seemed way too overwhelmed at times in the, in the NHL. And I'm still not really clear on sort of what he's going to be doing as far as a role going forward and if you get anything out of a year like this you'd hope you get that so <clears throat> it's just it's a little tough you know spending a development year in the nhl and at the end of it you're still kind of what's this guy doing he had 22 yeah, points fit? in 65 games yeah that's that's not very much it's not bad either for a rookie i mean you know, I mean, Miko had 38 and, and 80, I think, last year, 78. It, it puts him between Eric Johnson and Nikita Zadorov, who were defensemen. Um, it, it puts him right there with Sven Andergetto, who played 15 fewer games and was absolutely snake bit. Yeah. If you, if you count the Nashville points, it's like Gerard had 23. So the fact that he's. I guess how, how do you judge the the production there? Like the fact that he's a defenseman, is that good that he was in there with uh, Jost and Comfer? It's not. See, it says more about Sam than it does about Jost. <laughs> yeah. if, if you're a forward, you know what your point totals would be down there where the defensemen are. That, that's just yeah. Uh, and, unless I, you're no. talking about Tyson Berry, and then then that's fine because he had 57 points in 68 games. <laughs> I do need to go back for a second and say Kerfoot. I I think we just all kind of forgot about him, but there's no way that he didn't exceed expectations. He went from yeah. that to 43 points. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I had no expectations for him just because I, you know, you're just like, right. who we find this guy in camp opens next week? Oh my god, you know. And then he went to that, to that uh, uh, rookie thing in in San Jose and absolutely was. Great. He was good, yeah. And and that yeah. was where I was like, he doesn't belong there. We found an NHL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Like we didn't have expectations, so anything would have been good. But but yeah, forty three points from him was. And I don't think he's gonna fall off the map next year. I mean, I I don't know if he's gonna get forty again, but I think he's just that kind of player. He just. I think he's always going to be fake goals, Kerfoot, you know? It's just... Yeah. I think he might get some real goals next season playing on the <laughs> wing with John Tavares. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's very Tangay-ish with how he shoots. Right. And... And he's actively told the press before he doesn't to ever think to shoot unless he has to. Yeah. I mean, but you, he, you he look does at have his... great vision and... Yeah. You, you you look at his his individual Corsi rates and and they're they're like at Gabe Bork levels and you're just like and this guy had forty three points somehow you're like wow <laughs> <laughs> I mean he he passes he's he reminds you a lot of Carl in that he makes really 
strong passing plays that you weren't expecting. And yeah. it's really difficult to uh, to play with him until you kind of learn what he's going to do. So I think it's kind of interesting that, that, that he and Carl have almost identical point lines at the end of the season, too. Um, but as you look at, at disappointments, was anyone disappointed in in Nail Yakupov, or was this what we expected? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was, I was going back to some season predictions, and a lot of people, I'm not necessarily saying us, I'm just saying in general, a lot of people expected like 30, 40 points out of Yakupov, and I don't think I was in that boat, but I think, yeah. I thought I, he was going to be home for Christmas, so. Well, see, he had he was... 16, and he got most of his points while he was playing on a line with Matt Duchesne, so yeah. if, there, if that I trade think... doesn't happen, maybe he does reach that level. Yeah, Maybe his they should start. have included him. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Ottawa should think about it. That, that, that's very true. Yeah, um, I think the way he started, like, I always felt like he was going to kind of fall into that Grigorenko, like, yeah, the guy has skill, but what are you exactly going to do with this guy? And uh, Yeah, I mean, he was kind of like the Rennie Bork from last year, Mr. October, and then nothing. Just taking up space. But I am but, surprised that he basically didn't play like the whole last month. Right. I, I, get, I mean, looking at, at, at the lineup, I'm not disagreeing. Like, it was obvious they were going to dress Bork and Wilson, but I guess, yeah, you wouldn't have guessed from when they signed him that he just would have just completely gone to non useful. I mean, I never really watched him that much. Um, so I mean, I sort of how we played was was kind of a surprise to me. Um, you know, it's just I mean, Barry is chaotic, and the, and Yak is chaotic in a totally different way. There's just absolutely no direction whatsoever. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like he, he, he could does, be playing he, for either team. <laughs> he, has, he, has, he has skill. He has puck skill. You know, it's just exactly you just. And when he shoots the puck, it's like I couldn't believe it. One person out there was arguing that he has the most accurate shot on the team. I was like, "Have you watched him play? <laughs> the most accurate shot on the team? He's, he's got a shot about as accurate as Dion Phaneuf." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's terrifying when he shoots it. And yeah, nobody knows where it's going. <laughs> he would up. shoot it on that power play two unit and he never scored on it <laughs> he, he would shoot and everyone would just reflexively duck because you don't know <laughs> um, but I mean he was on kind of a last chance you know prove that you belong in the NHL kind of deal and he wasn't able to do that and I, I don't know how much of a disappointment that really is but it definitely is that he like you kind of forgot he was on the team by the end of the year yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then I'll also suggest, uh, excluding the playoffs where he was awesome, uh, Colin Wilson. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I would say, you're talking to two people here who didn't have much expectation, but... Yeah, he actually played right about... He, he His expectations met just about where I thought he was going to be, but um, I, I was ultra negative on him. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he it, was... He looked great in the playoffs, but still he didn't score. So, 
And actually, when you delve into statistics, he's, he was actually pretty bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> he just looked good rushing up the ice. Yeah, he but looked good skating around remember. fast. Cause he, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's weird that the, you know, the kind of the, the Kerfoot Jost line got a lot worse um, when he was put on it. And I thought, you know, I, I thought from the eye test, it actually worked out pretty good at first. Um, but that was like the worst line combo out of everybody over in the playoffs um, on the Avs. I'll also throw one to Lindholm. I don't know what happened to the guy. And well, he's on I the was team. never, I was never his biggest fan. You know, I, I probably didn't have the highest expectations for him, but like what on earth happened? He disappeared. <laughs> Someone disappeared Anton Lindholm. And and if that was just entirely performance related, then I don't think he's going to be on the team next year. I think yeah, he's that's taking a tough call. to sit out his contract. I mean, somebody well, is every year. Is it going to be him or is it going to be Wilson? I just, I think that I, you know it it started in camp. He just didn't have a good camp, and he was sort of a you know he's a step behind there and. But they we loved forget this, him. They well, loved they, they, him they, for months. But they did send him to San Antonio. Though he never played a game. Remember? But that that was just until they got rid of Colburn. Like I know he was. But yeah, I guess he was the one they picked. Did it really matter which one they picked? Uh, I'm yeah. I mean, he was you know first guy out, and I, I mean you know Bigro was ahead of him at that point. We know what happened to him. Um, I just I I think that that he just. You know, he looked good at the end of last year because everybody else was so bad. And you know, when when they actually came to camp with with guys in better shape and you know a, a little better decor overall, he didn't show well, and he was just never able to catch up. And you know, that's too bad. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much more he's got to give. But then it took him to March to figure this out. Like, <laughs> well, the team gets better over the year, and he didn't. That's you know, that's what I think happened there. I mean, I as the season gets, you know, as the season rolls on, the team gets better and better, and the players get better and better. They I raise their levels, do, and, and he didn't. I I think I had to do something with that injury. Either they weren't happy that it happened, like something like he said that it, it's something that he's very familiar with, like. This is something that he didn't get taken care of, and they weren't happy about that. They weren't happy, or they weren't happy that he basically cleared himself to play. And you know how the abs are very militant about injury and think and talking about them. So for a player to talk, basically talk about his injury out of line, I I don't know. I just I. I can understand him falling out of favor to an extent just because I never thought he was that fantastic, but I don't know. It, it seems pretty drastic to me. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely a weird element to it, but... Um, yeah. yeah. But, Why but pick I up think... Mark Alt if you have an Anton Lindholm that can perform at least at a base level, you know? That can actually play in a game. Yeah, I mean you're you're handicapping yourself with David Wasowski in the first round of the playoffs when you got Anton Lindholm on the <laughs> roster. He can't have actually been healthy. There's no way. Well, I mean, they're two. I mean, the 
they wanted Warsawski's quote unquote puck moving skills. Sure, but that which... hurt them so. But yeah. I mean, yeah, you. But to the point where you are using guys that you left in the AHL all year, and now you're using them instead of you know quote unquote NHL players or player. Someone who's been in the NHL for you. <laughs> we'll put it that way. He has played NHL games. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I I agree it's weird, but it's just from what I saw, I, I'm, you know, I, I can see that they'd want to use Duncan uh, rather than him on the penalty kill. I can see them wanting more Sofsky instead of him, you know, if they wanted someone who can move the puck a little bit better, even though where he moves it is up in the air. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it took him like it, April to decide these things. It just... Something's it, weird there. Yeah. <laughs> um... So shout out to the voice of Vlad who's just rolled in. We were about an hour 20 into a marathon show, so it hasn't been all negative. It's actually been very positive. Um, but I think that's probably going to be where the disappointments uh, come to an end, honestly, unless there's anything else you could think of. Um, maybe, Joe maybe... Colborn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know those two words in that order. Um, maybe maybe Begra, but that's that's about it. Yeah. So this is where we uh, kind of move on to sort of a quick retrospective. What were some of your uh, some of your favorite things that that happened during the season? What was your favorite moment? Uh, I just I asked Vlad in the chat just a minute ago to give you guys a second to gather your thoughts. I know that I warned you about this, obviously, but just to give you a second to gather those thoughts. Um, Vlad in the chat um, says he's going to go with Hey Duke Knight and the seven uh, one Braziling of the Minnesota Wild that followed. Yeah. That was fantastic. That was a great night. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For me, and I, I don't want to steal everybody's favorite moments here, but for me, the, the, the three biggest moments of the season were Matt Duchesne leaving the ice in Brooklyn, uh, knowing that the, the, the long year and a half, however long you want to call it, wait was over. That uh, that night that was crazy. I couldn't sleep for a week after that. <laughs> yeah, it was just just way too much. It was just yeah, it was just such a huge moment for the for the year franchise. Just one of those things happen. It's just you know it's momentous. We got like all the well, way just through, the, through the second period that everyone was like, "Hey, the Avs are still playing a hockey game." That's yeah, nice. just. <laughs> What's the score? And not uh, well to boot. It's like, wait, it's like, wait, they are? What's the score? It sucks. Okay, I don't care. Might be Shane And, you know, it's just the, the fan angst. You know, it, it's, it's hard to really remember it looking back now, but it's just the fan angst, uh, you know, through, through the trade deadline last year, through the, the draft, and, and all through the summer, and, and training camp, and you're just like, why is he still here? You know, <laughs> why can't Sackick do his job, you know? <laughs> and it was finally over. I, <laughs> and we played him the next game. <laughs> the next two games. <laughs> On another continent for some you, reason. You couldn't have written it. You couldn't have scripted it it just yeah and and i didn't take it serious when they when they had these the rumors the couple days before it, i was like yeah whatever because we had heard so many yeah like i just didn't even think i wasn't waking up that day like oh boy so when <laughs> it happened during the game <laughs> like when he left the ice my first thought was oh shit now he got injured that's great 
<laughs> oh, he he went and, off and the Como ice. Too. Yeah, he, he went off the ice with Blake Como, who had just gotten shaken up. I thought he was helping Como off the ice down to the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and then and then you know people were saying, no, no, really, something's something's up, and it was like, no, and we just couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, right. Finally, finally, this is it. Like, just wow, and then. Yeah, it's just in it, everything. It just took just took so long just to kind of process it all, and and then we got the wonderful gift that was Sam, and it just just from there, it just yeah. I mean, the return was so fantastic. You're just laughing about it for days, <laughs> you know. And we didn't even know he was, you know, Sam at that point. We're just like, oh, okay, look at all these these things. We got this. Is- <laughs> we have a bunch of. Oh, we we got we got rid of Matt Duchesne for a bunch of presents. Okay, let's let's unwrap some of them, I guess. And I guess the, those of us that were lucky to watch the AHL enough and, and saw enough Milwaukee games were a little bit familiar with Kamenev, and you know we knew that was going to be pretty good, and you know yeah. Hammond was whatever. The draft picks were awesome. Shane Bowers, you know. Shane Bowers, we didn't know anything about, and then he, he, he turned out to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know everything has turned out better. I think than from the day that we got we got all those pieces because the pick now could be a lot better than we thought the pick was going to be. You know, Sam's just fabulous. You know, Kamenev, we, we despite the injury, he showed some good things. Hammond playoff game like if someone would have told us that when that trade was made we would have been like right yeah i mean even a week before he made the regular season start i was like there's no way they're ever playing that guy if, if yeah, you told me yeah. in november that hammond would start for colorado in a playoff game i'd have said i'll have what you're having <laughs> yeah in a yeah. game six <laughs> <laughs> and bowers had a really good season everyone written him off as like the bad pick in the bottom of the first round and and he had a good season so it's just now now they just got to make good decisions with but it it really does have the potential franchise changing yeah but it's you know you, you kind of look at back at that day and you're you know remembering what the team was like before that you know, it's like, and they, they actually played pretty well with the Shane in the lineup. Uh, they did, yeah. But it's just, you know, so much changed that day that 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 was just sort of the the real beginning of the season. Yeah, and then they all say how important Sweden was. Then on top of that, to kind of have a few days to, I, I think that really helped them. That they didn't have to go out and play a game two days later. Like they got a chance to decompress and just. Yeah kind of enjoy each other's company and yeah exactly like the season started that on that trip and i've, I've heard in a couple of different places that the uh, the sweden trip was being immediate was really good for sam gerard because he's kind of a kind of a quiet inward kind of guy and he kind of was forced to meet the team because they all went to stockholm <laughs> i mean that's yeah. just must have just so crazy for him too like 
um, you know, I like when he told the story about how he, he told he had to go to Sweden and just like his reaction was he probably thought like, oh my god, did they loan me to some <laughs> team in Sweden? <laughs> like they traded it for me and they want me to go to Sweden. Like, oh my god, did they just loan me some? No, the team's playing a game there. Okay. It's like, why is the team playing a game there in November? Don't ask any questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was good to add him and and they got a few days together. It was just, just perfect. Yeah. I couldn't have scripted it any better. The uh the best moment, like the best moment for me is gonna be the obvious one. And that's uh that's Gabe Landeskog's empty netter from way downtown in game eighty two. And the yeah. impending dog pile that all of the uh all the fans that have been ready to kill each other oh, for three years just also wanted to just dive in with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I Gerard mean... scoring in that game and McKinnon also had a great great goal in that game. But yeah, the uh, I'd say Gerard's goal and the dog pile, I think those two will be the kind of the big moments from that game. Yeah, I saw Big someone memories. on Twitter today saying that they've they'd watched rewatched Game eighty two a couple times since, and I I think that's definitely one of those you want to sort of relive a couple times over the summer if you're into rewatching games. Um, it was such a such a release for everybody. Yeah, you know, especially after going through that the sort of hellish California trip and. You're like, are these guys really going to choke in five straight games and lose out on the playoffs by one point to the damn Blues? And you know, yeah, that sure looked possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if the Blues hadn't choked on their own, then that game wouldn't have even mattered. Yeah. Um. But yeah, any other? What were your other two, Earl? I think you said you had three. Oh yeah, we kind of trampled okay. on Earl. No, that's a, I, I didn't want to take all three just because I know we all have good memories. Um, I, I, the next one for me would be the Ronaldo fight or yeah. the Ronaldo hit and subsequent brawl. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously the 10-game the win streak sort of fed off of that. And I, I think that's where sort of a, a next step was taken um, from being just sort of a team that's, you know, maybe overachieving, maybe just a good young team performing well to sort of um, becoming a, a team that's, that can contend for the playoffs and, and, you know, maybe get a playoff spot and, and do something decent in the first round. And yeah. it was yeah. a real galvanizing moment for the team. I think so too. I think it was a real important moment for them as well. I think, I think it brought them together um, yeah, just having kind of like an incident like that and everyone stood up for each other. And it started with uh, Gerard, you know, I guess tr sort of trying to stand up for McKinnon and then all stood up for him. And yeah, I agree. I, I don't know if they would have come together had that not happened. Yeah, I mean, it's um, wacky enough to have a 10-game win streak, but it, you, you almost always have to have an impetus for it. And I, I really think that that game was, was that moment where they all sort of, not that they weren't playing for each other before that, but it just showed that what playing for each other uh, sort of could bring them to another level. And kind yeah. of along that same vein, I'd say getting run out of the building by Vegas seven nothing, and then playing the next day and scoring six goals after Landeskog says, "No, this isn't us. We're we're better than that this year." And then they go out and just immediately prove it the next day. It was 
an, another one of those kind of galvanizing moments for me where the team just kind of said, no, we are not the LOL Alanche again. That's not yeah. us. Yeah. I think, that was probably I think the first sign of resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wrote in my article, I, I kind of wrote about 14 of them. So the more they had little moments of that, like when they won that game against Detroit in overtime. And then for me, I remember the game that they came back against Winnipeg overtime. And I, I think it was in like November and it didn't seem like, that big of a deal but i remember saying after that game like okay they're different now because that took a lot of guts to come back and win that game and then all over the ice. another one of those Chalk yeah. full of guts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and another one um was kind of those not this time moments was they lost four in a row in december and when they lost to buffalo at home and they went to tampa and got killed and it, and it was kind of like, oh, here we go, because it was early December again, four-game losing streak. They didn't have a good home stand. Time and it was just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the next game, they went out and they, they scored seven on Florida. And then then they went on to have a, a good road trip where they um, – I think they won in Pittsburgh, didn't they? And they, they had a couple good, couple more good games on that road trip. And it was just like, nope, not this time. And – and um, and during the ten game um, win streak, when they, because remember they had the buy and everything, everyone was like, oh, they can't keep this going after the buy. And then they went to Dallas, and they won that game there, their first game back after the buy. And I went back and I looked after that game. I texted my dad and said they're going to have a miracle year <laughs> 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 after that game because there are just so many times that they would how to maybe have circumstances and then they would just show back up. Like another one was after the, um, the trade deadline. And then they were playing Calgary that night or two nights later. And it was a team that just had a horrible loss to Calgary was ahead of them in the standings. They're going to prove it. If they're going to prove that they actually deserve kind of this faith Zach said they deserve to to go through this one together, and and they they won that game and they passed Calgary and that that basically eliminated Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so Jackie, your connection's gotten pretty rough, so you might want to kind of move in the direction of your router. That would probably be helpful. Um, <laughs> I'm like sitting next to it, but okay. Oh. <laughs> but uh, well, then I don't know what the problem is. Um, did, did you get all three of yours out, Earl? Yeah, because my third was game 82. Okay. Um, so then, did you have any others, Jackie? Because I think all of mine have come out. Um, I guess I'll say one more. When they beat Minnesota and St. Louis on the road, I think that was huge for them uh, in, in March. And they beat them back-to-back on the road. I think that was another... Just those little moments where they show that they were, um, that they were going to be able to do it. And I guess the the shootout against Vegas, you're talking about more of like a moment with Landeskog scoring the shootout winner. It was just kind of like another two points, but for some reason that game felt like it was propelling them somewhere. 
it's 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 a great look back at all those moments because the the theme through just about all of them um is is you know like you said that this isn't last year's team and you know they kind of knew they had to prove that you know every game this season um but the resiliency was there and you know they they were a team that you could take seriously and then you know it, it <clears throat> you go through a 48 point season where you're you're beyond the biggest joke in the league and you really do have to prove it every night the next season that that you're you know you're not a bunch of jokers you're you're not a, a really talent deficient team that doesn't deserve to be anywhere near a playoff spot um I think that, you know, that one of the things that I enjoyed throughout the whole season was, you know, a lot of times when over the past three years, you'd know these guys would have choked a game away and they come through with something like that. And it, it was just wonderful to see. It just it made you glad to turn on the game. Yeah. And a lot of times last year, that was not the case. We we hoped <laughs> uh, we hoped pretty hard back in September that things would be different this year, that you would actually want to watch Avalanche hockey games and. That, that more or less happened. We got those expectations met pretty easily. And now that the team have gotten themselves another playoff berth and an early exit that we kind of figured it would be, um, what are the expectations for next season? And we don't, obviously we don't have enough, we don't have enough time to really do this, this next set of, you know, conversation justice. Um, but let's, let's kind of work through it pretty quickly. What are the expectations for next season? Um, you know, just improvement. Um, I, I don't think they have to improve massively just because, you know, when you practically double your points total, you've really made a big gain, you know? Um, but I, you know, I, I, I really think it's important that they, they make the playoffs again. And I, I don't think it's going to be as difficult as it was this year. I think that, you know, you sort of saw that they learned a lot about what it takes to, you know, to play in a big game and then you know, sort of deal with large swaths of big moments um, down the stretch. You know, they know that the level is going to be raised and that they can handle it. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, like 100 or something like that. I, I just, you know, if they make, if they're the eighth seed again in the West, that's fine with me. I just, I, I, I think it's important that they make the playoffs again and show improvement as far as playing as a team. <clears throat> um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit better strategies from the coaching staff. You know, I think they'll be a little bit more free to implement new strategies over the summer. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see some of the, the shot metrics we look at improve. Um, but, but playoffs and, and, you know, maybe one more win in the playoffs, hopefully two more. <laughs> I guess for me, I'd say, I also, to say improvement i just think it's going to be a little more difficult um i also it, it's tough just to, to draw a line in the sand the 95 they got to do better you know whatever you can say the seeding the wins but um they haven't had consecutive years of improvement since like the early 2000s so we're, we're coming up on 20 years that they haven't built on a good year and, and I agree, if they have less than 95 points, I'm not going to say they didn't improve because there's a lot of areas where they can. But what they need to do is they need to, to repeat at least what they've done. They can't take a step back. And I think that's going to be incredibly difficult because 
we've seen this, the fresh start, the after bottoming out, you know, there is something to be said for having no expectations. It's like the McDavid and the Oilers thing. It's like you come into a year, you have no expectations. You know, there's a certain freedom that you play with. And they obviously got more and more expectations as the season went, but they also had more and more house money by then too, where people were like, Hey, we're just not awful. Like this is already fantastic. Yeah. And, and to, to start from day one with those expectations and how do they handle a loss? How do they handle losing streak? How do they handle losing at home? You know, all these things where people are showing up and expecting them to perform well and to show them the team they were this year, I think is a huge hurdle for them. And I think they, I do believe that there were elements of this team that are real and true and, and build on it the proper way over the summer and don't go and some bad. But I think them showing that and being able to have just even back to back good years be huge for them in the future because we don't want the cycle. We don't want the, the, the spike and then regress, regress, bottom out, spike. Like, we, we're done with that. And I think if, if they have a year that shows that that, that cycle's broken, I think it would be huge for them. So I'm kind of where you guys are. Um, I'm expecting them to be back at least where they're at. Although I think my expectations might even be a little bit higher than y'all's. I, I, I think next season the, the realistic hope is probably for um, being not just being in the playoffs, but being solidly in the playoffs, you know, ha having their spot clinched with a, maybe a week or a little bit more to go being in that three spot in the division right up there behind Nashville and Winnipeg. And I think they can do it. It's just going to be a matter of, uh, of what the St. Louis blues do in the off season and how Colorado plays against them next season. Cause that's really been a dragon for them to slay. Um, and it may obviously, it may not be the biggest one, but it's definitely one. I mean, Dallas are going, we're not really sure where Chicago are kind of in trouble. Um, that, that kind of leaves Colorado just has to get past uh, St. Louis and Minnesota. You can do that. Yeah. I still think it'd be um, a huge accomplishment for them to be the same team again. And, and, and what I'd hate to see is just sort of, you know, the, the ability to play at that, that same level, but not be able to handle the injuries as well as they did this year. Um, because, like, if you think of the goalie injuries, they, they really lucked out. It's like Varley would get hurt, come back, and Bernie would get hurt immediately, and then <laughs> Bernie would come back, and Varley would get hurt. and um, You know, and it's, it's tough losing your goalies like that, but they never, you know, they only had to start Hammond once in yeah. the regular season. So that was incredibly lucky. Um, I, I wrote about, or this will be published on Monday, but I, I wrote about this today that, yeah, Eric Johnson missed a bunch of time again, but he was healthy for almost the entire season up until mid-February, like basically the first two-thirds of the season. Played and I think that was really games. important. Yeah, he came back for six and then got hurt again. Um, but I, I think it was incredibly timely of him to be there for the first two-thirds of the season. It allowed Sam to develop. Um 
it allowed Patrick Nemeth to sort of get, you know, I mean, he's never going to be amazing, but I, I think he was a lot better player at the end of the year than he was in the beginning when he first got claimed. And I, I think that the Avs were a lot better equipped to absorb an injury like that by the time he finally did get injured in mid-February. I, I think how they handled the defense injuries was pretty remarkable. That, that was a great sign for them because you think about it, they, they basically went from the Barry injury to the EJ injuries. So they didn't have really their full decor after, um, you know, Christmas. They were really didn't ever have it and they still played well. Yeah. Where, and they only missed and it, McKinnon for three weeks. But, and even that wasn't you know, that next, bad. I mean, they didn't play play that great yeah. then but they didn't like tank every game <laughs> yeah next year i'm a little concerned if if he gets injured long term or something like Miko or landy does as you know what what that might do to them but i do think how they handled the the injuries they had was was a good sign well and you know it's like i i think that the younger players after going through this season are, are going to be also better equipped to sort of step in if, if, if you know, when one of the, the big scorers goes out. Yeah. Like that's um, definitely a question mark. Let's take another step, especially the forwards, you know, Joseph or her foot. Uh, are they going to take another step? You know, can, can someone like Kamenev come in? Cause you know, they're going to give him every opportunity. Can he come in and make a difference? And I, I think that will help them maybe offset some of the inevitable kind of regression and maybe other areas. Yeah, because if you if you look at the depth we're probably going to have starting out in, we'll say in Colorado, but with the Eagles, you're you're probably going to have you know maybe Kamenev down there, maybe he's on maybe he's on the Avs as as the the fourth line center, or maybe the thirteenth guy. Um, but you're going to have him available to step up. You, you've got Toninato, you know he can center the fourth line if you need to. You know he, he's going to be able to step up. Um, I, I think Malosh is going to be able to to step in and take some time. Maybe not right away, but but probably you know get twenty thirty games into the season. I, I think they'll be ready to call him up if need be. Yeah, absolutely. And like... and, and the, the depth is just I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> you didn't. You'd never noticed how bad it was. I mean, you knew it was bad, but it's just it, it's so much more bright now, knowing that you've got guys like that at the AHL level you can call up, and it's it's you know it's not calling up Agazino or Rocco or someone like that. It's yeah, and this year <laughs> and this year they the call ups basically were Tonato and Greer, and you know at the end Duncan and Warsawski and. And yeah, they seem to be heading into a better area where next year the call-ups legitimately should be like Malosh and Timmons and, you know, like people with actual future. And, you know, hopefully they keep doing that. That's how you you keep the youth movement going. And they might not have as many roster spots for rookies, but but you still should be doing that same process. And, And hopefully they keep doing that. Yeah, it's like if you, if you look at it, sort of who's going to be, you know, who's definitely signed and who we think will be signed. Um, 
the guys that are sort of 15 through 30 on your depth chart are just worlds better than they've ever been. And I, I think that's just, uh, that that's really nice to have that to be able to fall back on. And, you know, I, I think you can absorb an injury or two at, at the top level fairly easily uh, when you have a situation like that. That's just, just something they have to stick with and be willing to do that and be willing to do that when they have expectations, you know, where they're in a losing streak in November, they can't be scared to call Losh and use him. Yeah. So here's the question that we really don't have time for. And as we're, we're starting to close in on the two hour mark, let's kind of keep this pretty quick. Cause there'll be plenty of time to get into it in detail in our June show. Um, but with the, uh, summer looming what do the avalanche need to do to meet those expectations to be the same sort of team have the same kind of results and maybe even take another step further what do they need to do this summer i guess i hope that they don't really change much like i don't think the roster's a cup winning roster but i don't think they're in a position to win a cup next year anyway and um can't try to keep chasing success you've got to try to build on the success you've had and nearly everybody's signed so they don't need to give out a bunch of dumb deals just to keep the team together like they might lose Como they might go out and, and upgrade him which that's fine um, you know I still don't want to see a ton of term and a big contract given out um, I just don't think it's the right time for it I don't think they have enough questions answered I, I think they don't know who they're long-term second center is i don't think they know long-term where any of these other kind of pieces fit other than the top line so i think next year should be a year to kind of kind of roll the same dice and see what comes up see who steps up who steps back you know what new kids come up and can fill roles and then you can assess where holes where should we spend money you know, after you've had to extend basically half of your Ross next summer, I just think next year is just gathering more information. So what do I think they should do during the summer is, as Sackick said, stay the course. I, I don't think they need a free agent. I, I don't think they need to really do a whole lot of anything. I think they expressed how great the group is, how great they play together. And I wouldn't change that and give them an opportunity to go out and see what they can do as a group and then then assess after that. So I would like to see as little as possible, honestly. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like that answer, but for me, it's not about next year. It's about what you're building towards. And next year is not it. Earl, I think your answer is going to be similar to that, right? It's pretty close, yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say is, don't make any mistakes, which is easy for me to say. Um, <laughs> don't, don't give out away any more picks. Don't get out yeah. to to buy a potato. Right. And to that, um, if they have a chance to sign John Tavares or even John Carlson, you know, I, I would, I would be fine with that. Um, the, the big thing is, is if they're counting on signing John Tavares, don't, you know, don't sign someone that's a level below just because he's the guy you can get. Um, we've seen kind of in the past that, you know, you, you can't keep Paul Stastny, you get Jerome Ginla, and it, 
you know, it doesn't work out as well. Or you, you can't get, I forget who, who did they, who are they trying to get the Stepan maybe? Uh, but whatever. And they end up trading for Brad Stewart. Um, you know, it, if you can add to your team in a, in a way that, that'll really make a difference in high-end talent like John Tavares or, or John Carlson, go ahead, do that. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I'd rather not, you know, I, I think Carlson would help the team a lot next year, but probably in the long term, it might, might hurt a little bit. Um, but if, if you can't really upgrade what you're trying to upgrade, uh, then stand pat, you know. Don't feel the need to make a move, but if, if you can make a good one, then go ahead and do it. I mean, there's going to be free agents every summer. Like, right. yeah, it's all about it could be Sagan, it could be Panarin, it could be Dowdy. Like, you know, this isn't like once in a lifetime. Like, I don't have a problem calling and seeing what it would take, but I don't necessarily would put a priority on it because free agency doesn't expire. Like, when you get a guy in and you get in his best years, I would rather have those be in the years where they could actually maybe win a cup, not in a year where they're just trying not to rest. Yeah. No, it's just, I, I think the biggest mistakes they can make this summer are, you know, signing guys that, that look like they can help for a year and you have to sign them for five or something like that. And it's, you know, that, that's, that's not helpful. And if you're doing that just to, you know, save yourself from what might happen as far as injuries or aggression or whatever, it's it's just I think it's very negative uh, going that route. So, you know, just the the guys on this team right now are good enough to get you to the playoffs, and the great majority of them are young and still have upside. So. There's no reason to think this team won't get better, even if you just leave it alone. Um, so, you know, give these guys a chance and don't make any mistakes, and I, I think everything's going to go fine. So my list is a little bit longer than either of yours. Um, I, I really think that they should make a strong push for somebody at the top end um, of, of scoring, like a forward, because the – after the top line, Colorado's kind of been relying on unreliable scoring all year long. Um, after that, I think you leave the defense alone because there's just too many guys that are going to be pushing to come up and you really don't want to get in their way. I'm talking Kale McCarr, Connor Timmons, Nick Milosh. There are just way too many names that we really don't want to shove them down the roster by adding somebody. And then... I. The Colorado have to be back in the goalie market. I don't think we're expecting Jonathan Bernier to be back. Um, they really need to bring in another 1A type of goaltender like that, and they probably need to bring in another uh, 3, honestly. Um, they they need somebody who's going to continue to push Spencer Martin at the AHL level, someone who can be more reliable to come in and back up the, the team if your actual goaltenders are both hurt. Um, that sounds like the Hamburglar's music. It, I, I, I wouldn't be like super horrified if they brought Andrew Hammond back. I don't think they will. Um, I I would prefer a better option than that. But if that's what they go with, then I would not be that upset. I'm yeah, saying I, for the number three, not for the backup. Yeah, right. Just to yeah. clarify. Yeah, not for, <laughs> not for the backup. Yeah, or Pickard. I mean, if Toronto doesn't qualify him, I could see them. 
but I think they'd bring him in as a number three and, you know, right. maybe that's kind of weird to come back to the organization as the number three. But no, I, I completely agree. Well, they're going to have to sign. They have to have one goalie sign. They're going to need at least sign four to NHL contracts, one way or the other. And there is one more thing that you said that I'd like to echo. Um, if you lose out on your absolute priority target, whether that's you know Tavares or uh, somebody on, on that end, you don't go in and get the next guy down because you missed on that one, then okay, you missed, you don't get anything. Instead of that, that's when you get the younger faster replacement for Blake Como instead. That, yeah, that's when they sign Rick Nash and we don't want that. Oh. Yeah, no no on that. Absolutely no on that. <laughs> Alexander Burroughs? <laughs> you know, I, I'm a fan of this team. <laughs> so, it, if you're going to sign scumbags, I'm going to get pissed. Alex Burroughs, he's 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 the absolute, you know that that's that's the the bellwether. If they sign him, then you're just like, no. Is it already signed? They lost their way. They signed Burroughs' abandon ship. I still would like to see them not throw away a pick. Like go an entire year without throwing away a pick. Yeah, just that's a good that. one. That would be fantastic. Using the picks isn't necessarily like the number one most detrimental thing to the franchise, but stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stop it's a pretty it. big one. It's really hard to Just, develop talent you never drafted. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, and that's I'll add, they, they should trade Colin Wilson this summer. <laughs> <laughs> So, they are. They're going to trade him to Loveland. Just wait. <laughs> so we're all in general agreement that the, the team shouldn't do that much. Um, I, th I think they should be more like, bigger of a player than you guys do. But it's, I, I'm kind of exaggerating my point a little bit just be, just to make it different from y'all. I if they did absolutely nothing, I'd be like, really, you did nothing. But that would be my whole response. I wouldn't be furious. Yeah, and I mean, if they're going to go out and get someone. Of course, I wouldn't be mad if they signed Tavares. I just, I think it's unrealistic. I I just don't know that it needs to be, like, a priority. If they call him and his agent's like, oh, we're so glad to hear from you. This is exactly where John wants to go. I'm not going to be like, no, don't sign him. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, I don't think they need to focus on that. Like, I, I don't think that's the path to success. I, I just don't see it as a priority. Yeah, but it'd be nice. It would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that that's probably the best case, just because they can, you know, there's 12 forward spots. You know, if you sign one guy, Andy's really good. You're not blocking anybody really in the minors as much as you would be is is if you, you know, sign like John Carlson, and you know that then you really are sort of shoving Malosh and, and Timmons and at some point Makar down. So, you know, if a good so forward like John any... Tavares can help the team, great. I don't see how they can add any defenseman, really. I mean, another six, I, which is just so inconsequential, really. I mean, if they added like a Carlson, either one, I think you have to get rid of Barry. 
Mm-hmm. My, I, I mean, my logic for for adding a defenseman is purely for the fact that EJ can only play three quarters of a season at best. Mm, yeah, and it's just we we've seen the difficulties the team goes through when Barry's act asked ask to be number one, and you know while they kind of did number one by committee with a little bit of Z, with a little bit of Barry, and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, you know that that, that could be part. devastating. But I think a year from now you won't need that. So that's that's the thing. It, 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 Carlson is a win now move. Yeah, I, I'm a little afraid that whoever ends up with Carlson's going to really regret that deal in a few years. Not I'm the, sure they will. Not the player, but I I think he may really get a payday. Yeah, and it's you know I, I if he comes to the Avs, I wouldn't expect 60 points out of him at all. Um, because he's obviously not going to be the number one power play guy or anything like that. So, I mean, he's probably going to be a 30, 40 point guy in the abs. And it's just, you know, do you really want to play, pay nine, 10 million for that? Probably not. And I think the same way, like, why would he want to come here for that? I just, I just don't see it as realistic. Yeah. Hopefully he hates snow and nice mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well this has gone on for two hours um but we kind of expected that the the, the last show of the year is always a big one because there's always just so much to to dig into in this season especially there's just there's been so much to dig into even from, from, the, from the last month so um if you if you made it all the way to the end of the show then 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 bless you you've got more patience than a lot of people do but maybe you maybe you did it in chunks because you're not going to get another show from us until after the draft on June 22nd and 23rd. So, um, yeah. Unless we trade Barry. Unless we, <laughs> if there's a big news event, we'll be back to chat about it. Like, if, if Jared Bednar decides to FO, then we'll have a podcast to talk about it. If you like us rambling more about prospects, minor leagues, development system, things like that, we'll... And the draft, we are going to continue doing podcasts, not as Burgundy Radio, but under the Talking Outer Abs, um, say flagship or whatever. Um, we will still be talking. It's it's a big time of the year for those kind of things, so we do have a lot of things to say about that. So if you do like podcasts, we aren't going to start. It's just you'll have to find us in a different way and a different focus. Right. You'll, you'll definitely want to keep up with talking out our ass if you're into the amateur and uh, prospect side of things, which is just not an area that I'm able to focus on too much. So I leave that to those, uh, to those nice voices over there. Um, just a quick passing mention before we go to the uh, Colorado Eagles, who are well into their Kelly Cup round at this point. They're in the second round, right? Yes. Correct. And they're taking on... Idaho? Idaho. Yes. Yes. I've been paying a little bit of attention. So. Yes. They won game one last night. So. Well on their way. It's early in the round. But yeah. But one win under their belt is good. And it's been a lot of fun to watch because Malosh, Travis Barron, JC Bonan, and Nantel are on the team. So it's kind of like. We have an AHL team with prospects again. Yeah. We just happen to play in the ECHL. 
So yeah, that's that's it from us until after the NHL draft. A couple of us are, are looking at actually going to at least some of that, if not both days. So um, keep an eye on BurgundyRainbow.com for uh, for some stuff from that. It's if I'm probably going to be down there for, for the first day, not in kind of like an official coverage kind of capacity, but just to go and kind of get the fan experience. Um, and then there's, there's a few others that have thought about it as well. Um, so keep an eye open for that. And we will be back at you sometime after sometime the week before UFA. So it'll probably, it might be a day late because of, you know, actually going to Dallas for the draft. Um, but, We'll, we'll be back around sometime that last week before UFA to talk about the Colorado NHL draft class that they've picked up and uh, what that means for, for the team going forward and kind of get into more detail on the UFA market and what kind of targets the Avalanche may actually have some interest in and then which ones to avoid like the plague. Um, you know, like Roman Polak. Alex Burrows. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, thanks for sticking with us for uh for this season. I think this has obviously been the the most fun that we've had doing the show for a whole season, which is mainly because it's been the most fun we've had watching the team for this whole season. Um, but we've we've been a lot more we've we've consistently done a show every week. We haven't had random cancels. We haven't had anything get eaten by the poltergeists. We've you know things have gone. It's, it's been a pretty good a pretty good season, I think. So. We'll be back next year with uh, a new intro and all kinds of stuff. And then our next episode, like I said, will be after the draft, before UFA. We'll have another show breaking down the uh, any UFA signings the Avalanche make. And then we'll be waiting for, uh, for training camp 2018. So get, get reacquainted with uh, the other things going on in your life. And maybe watch the playoffs if you're into that. I'm kind of on the Sharks bandwagon for now. Go Vegas. Earl has no has no comment. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Go Eagles. <laughs> well, that too. Vlad in the chat is on Team Tampa, and I'll be right with them right after San Jose loses. And uh, we will see you all after the draft. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. If Jared Bednar decides to FO, then we'll have a podcast to talk about it. <laughs> or if Billington gets fired. Or, or if, if the Avalanche swap out Craig Billington for Beg Grillington, then maybe. And uh, if that, you like... That joke is way too inside baseball. I'll have to cut that. <laughs> if you like...